0: Hello and welcome back to What Do You Know For Sure podcast with me, Anne Hughes. In this conversation with Dawn Fife. we are talking about the need for women to have safer lives. This is such a powerful conversation. I didn't know what Dawn was going to talk about. I didn't know Dawn, to be quite honest. And therefore, when we met up on Zoom and started having this conversation, I was so delighted to be bringing this to my podcast As I say at the end of the show, Dawn is going to come on my radio show as well so that we can have a longer chat because so much of what she's got to say has to be a bit longer and has to be a bit more in-depth. So that show will begin out on the the end of May 2021. So if you want to listen to that, go on in my Mixcloud and find that there. Enjoy this conversation because it's a really good one. Dawn, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Uh, Thanks very much, Anne, for having me.
0: Tell us a wee bit about you.
1: Yep, but my name is Dawn, I live in the West Coast of Scotland, um, I work in the violence against women's sector and I'm active in my community in a variety of ways really and enjoying just now because there's so much going on but it's also pretty exhausting as well. So.
0: Aye, aye, great, great and we've, we've spoke a wee bit before we've started recording this and I'm really excited to know Dawn, what do you know for sure?
1: Well, and what I know for sure is that women's aid and services that support like essential and possibly more so than it's been previously. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was thinking about talking about today mm-hmm. because there does feel that in this time of austerity and cuts and things like that, that services, if they're not at risk, they're certainly uh, experiencing being under capacity. So I think that, I was going to start off just by saying that I actually was in refuge when I was 15 years old, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an amazing experience for me, although that sounds a bit <laughs> odd. But it was an amazing experience because it was when I first met feminists, and mm. it was Clyde bank Women's Aid. And the, at the time, and they continued to be a collective, so there was no hierarchy in the refuge and coming from a household where there was very much a hierarchy and there was a lot of domination. Get into that environment where women and children had just as much to the deal as any worker or volunteer was and a real experience that, that changed my life as an adult.
0: Yeah, I can I can imagine, you know, and it's I was saying you know, I've got so much compassion and concern and an activist wherever I can be, that women need to live safe lives, you know, and, and that's something my sister's dedicated her life to it as well. But I remember the first time I saw a man hitting his wife in the street mm-hmm. and that wasn't my experience, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a very happy upbringing and a very safe upbringing and I was so shocked because I could not believe that was something that happened. And you take yeah. that understanding as a child and I actually think about kids in school, people that I went to school with, and that was their reality. Yeah. You know, it could take us away off in that. There's no level playing field because that was their reality and I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, yeah. uh huh. Yeah. So, so I know that you now you've said that you now work in the violence uh-huh. against women movement, uh-huh. and that uh-huh. you're you're a, you're a feminist. I, I love a feminist, obviously. <laughs> what has that journey been like for you?
1: It's been really interesting. It's, it's had its ups and downs. I'm really, really lucky that I get to work with women, particularly in the violence against women sector. Women at a point of change. So a lot of people maybe say, oh, it must be dead pressing. But it's actually not, because this is women taking control of their life. And women who've survived violence and and abuse, they've got strengths that... Other people mm. have never had to gather, yeah. um, but also they've got an understanding of the world. They understand how the world works. We're living in quite a violent society. All you have to do is put on the news. Well, maybe not the news, but social media about Palestine just now. Mm. We're living in a really violent society, and women understand that. And I think the difference between women who experience and children who experience violence in in the home is that that becomes very intimate. So, whereas the rest is understand what's happening in the news and different things, so we're bombarded all the time. For what people and women who and children who experience violence in the home, it becomes an everyday occurrence, and it's uh, even when it's not happening, it's still hanging in the air to a mm-hmm. certain extent. So, when you come through that and you're you then go into the workplace, it's quite a challenge to be in other types of social services because often that understanding um, of how the world works isn't there. So being in the violence against women's sector, it's, a, it's an honour because you get to practice your feminism. You, you're you amongst people who understand and recognise and their practice is based on the fact that women and children experience violence and abuse. And also you get to meet these fantastic women. So it's, it's, a, it's a great place to work, but it has got its challenges because it's extremely stressful. The longer the time goes on, we are... The, the pressure on is to to get more funding, um, to adhere to policies that maybe conflict with what the women's needs are, things like that, is a real challenge. And I always remember when I was I first started as a youth worker. You know, you would you would do you would prepare for your group work, you do group work, do a bit of evaluation, and you go home. Whereas now you're you're um, getting money, you're trying to get money through fundraising, you're inputting out the strategy and policy, which is all great, but. Uh, does take up a lot of capacity so it can be challenging but definitely the work with the women and children exceeds that and it it, it, it's just such a fantastic place to work
0: and you clearly have you said that you were in a refuge at 15 so violence against women has just ran through your whole life was there Mm -hmm. ever a thought that you wouldn't do this for a living or did this Mm -hmm. just was this just was it intentional or was it accidental i suppose that you've ended up so immersed in this yeah i
1: think i think as as after being in refuge, I definitely wanted to work in women's aid. Don't get me wrong, there's been periods where I've thought, not that it's not stressful, but a a period of time when I check out wouldn't be a bad thing. Mm. Um, What I would say is, um, I think that when I was young, because you've got so much responsibility in that environment, I knew I wasn't ready. So I waited a good bit of time and then started off doing part-time youth work first. So I think I was about 25, 26 before I started working in women's aid and I'd already done Social work course at that point. So I'd done part time youth work, then done full time youth work, then done social work, and then I went into the violence against women sector. I've been in other sectors, so I've worked with young people um, and youth projects and things. But I have to say, the the level I don't know whether it was because when I worked or my, my practice, but the level of violence and abuse that was coming through the door. And I think this is a significant issue. When you're working in areas where it's working class, where people have few options and very, very few resources. They are the ones who are going to need the services the most. Mm -hmm. So in the violence against women sector, there's definitely... Um, violence and abuse is is across all income bases, it's across all communities but the people who need the services, the women and children need those services are the women and children who have no access to resources, very few options Mm -hmm. and also a social network that doesn't really believe it's happened or that they don't have any resources or options so they, they can't help out in any way. So I think that although women's, advanced case women's services are for all women definitely and all women from different backgrounds require it at times for many for some women who have more access to resources that it's a temporary situation for them working class women are living in refugees sometimes for a year and mm. um, this is a, a long-term impact on their, and their children's lives so i think if we it's been a recent thing for me. We really need to start thinking about these services, about who's accessing them and why that's important and why it's essential then for these to continue. So it's why now I'm I'm on this new trail of where it's about that women's aid and other services in Burns Women are essential for women and I am so sure about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean it's, it's easy to say and it's not it's not easy to do. If you could, you know, sort of a snap your fingers and change something. What would Absolutely. it be? Because there's so many, isn't there? There's so many, and I agree with it. You know, especially having a daughter who's just started uni, and you know, it's so yeah. this about we need to train young women to be safe, and no, we need to train men not to be yes. violent against women. That's what yes. we need to do. That's what we where we, the education needs to be yeah. from wee tiny yeah. boys all the way up. Yeah. But is there something that you think would has to be done better? For example.
1: I mean, it's such it's such a wide question, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. if we could snap our fingers and stop violence against women, obviously that would be the key thing. If you, and you just raised something about um, the legal system. So like, having things in place, a lot of people would say people should be held to account. and Things like, that. well, the legislation's there, but they're not being held to account in the courts. Mm-hmm. So that's not working. I definitely, and I think the question about education is essential. Um, but I think we should be realistic as well We're going into schools and we're telling young people To behave in a certain way And that way isn't the way the adult society is behaving yeah. Adults need to change We're the adults in the room Adult men have to stop Being abusive towards women and children And that's that's essential For that to change mm-hmm. If we're talking about something practical I think that violence against women services Should have ring funding It's ridiculous that they're having to beg for money yeah. And it's ridiculous that they're that this is discretionary and that they're like, right, like women's aid, for example, is up against uh, a knitting, knitting organisation, which is essential. Do you know what I mean? Everybody should have access to it, but that right, women's aid shouldn't be up against it. That should be a basic as a core services. Mm-hmm. So I think having, having what, kind of ring fence funding that's specific for even the core for women's to, to make sure that these services are always available. The other thing that concerns me about the discretionary funding is. People talk about services for perpetrators. A lot of these services, like Caledonian Project, are now coming violence against women funding. Now you could argue it's for the same thing, and that's absolutely fine. But this is criminal justice. This is yeah. this is addressing criminal behaviour. So what happens if that discretionary funding for violence against women goes? Mm-hmm. But, that service goes as well. So I think it's essential that where we're responding to perpetrators But that that's also core, but it's core within criminal justice, because that's where it sits. Yeah. But violence against women funding is specific to women, because the difficulty is, if we change how the data is collected, so if we can't tell whether, the, say we've got a million pounds, we can't tell whether Um, three quarters of that's going to women's services or it's going to perpetrator services we don't know what's going on so I think it's essential that these things are targeted um, and that the the violence against women's sector is protected more and I think that's one of the things obviously my first thing is that violence and abuse doesn't exist but that the the response to women who have no resources and no options is protected and it's ring-fenced and that, that, that women can be confident that that's always going to be there. That's yeah. the key thing, isn't it? Yeah.
0: You were talking about accountability in courts there and I think there's an accountability in society as well, isn't yes. I, That <laughs> I would hold somebody accountable. If I had a male friend who was perpetrating violence, that I hold him accountable for that, for example. And I think in the last year of the pandemic, you know, it was, it was talked about a lot, wasn't it? My house was a safe place for me and my children. And I I was grateful for that because I know everybody's house isn't a safe place. So it was talked about more. But do you think think it has changed anything? The fact that we had, you know, newsreaders with text numbers or whatever it was they had on their hands and people putting things on. Did it actually change anything, do you think? Or do you think women are just in the same position that they were in? Or worse, perhaps? Yeah, I
1: think the challenge is that Abusers, any abuser will choose somebody who's in circumstances that makes them vulnerable. It's not the woman that's vulnerable. it's Their circumstances are vulnerable. And that can be because of lack of protection or lack of support for other things. But abusers will use that. So if you're a woman and you're in that situation, it's extremely difficult to escape that, regardless of who's round about you. Yeah. Um, so there is an issue about, yes, it's good for us all to know. But also to recognise, because I, I always remember, like, when, I, when we were in refuge, when I was fifteen, the refuge had only be on a year, mm. but a year before we wouldn't have would access to that. So, and now it worries me sometimes because you hear people saying, "Well, there's women's aid. Why does she you not know, just go there?" And as a society, mm. we tend to keep focusing on the person who's experiencing abuse yes. rather than the abuser. And I think that's so essential. And you can see that through other things as well, like prostitution. Like people keep looking and say, oh, these women need working rights. Well, no, they don't. It's men need to stop abusing women. Uh-huh. That's the key thing. And um, because the focus on that set at the prostitution is sex work. Means that a gaze, gaze gets taken off. What is it these men are doing? What is exactly. the exploitative behaviour of them? And that's the key thing. Is, a, is about looking at. So yeah, it's great to have this raised. I would I would be shocked to my core if it makes a difference to services afterwards. Yeah. I'd be absolutely shocked. And also, I don't think it changes the circumstances of the di- the power dynamic between yeah. a yeah. man who chooses to abuse and the person he's abusing. Because as a society. He knows that the chances are he's not going to get a conviction. The chances are he's not going. Even if he gets a conviction, he'll not get a custodial sentence, because the way that juries are made up, the way that we we understand that dynamic is is just.
0: It's limited, it doesn't it? Uh huh. And I, I, I really like the point you're raising about that blame that we put in women, and let's pull yeah. it right back. These men are predatory. They look for women yeah, yeah. who are vulnerable, yeah. and therefore, yeah. how do we start to, as a society? I suppose I don't think you have an answer for this one, but how that <laughs> predatory nature of people—you yeah. know—so often, it's my sister will say, "He's a good. He's a bad man who believes he's a good man. He actually yeah. believes he's a good man, but he's actually a really bad man." And yeah. you know, and you encounter yeah. these people in your life. Thankfully, it's not; it's never been uh, in violence for me. But I have encountered men yeah. who are bad men that really think they're yeah. good men. They really yeah. do believe it. I mean, how? Where do you even go with that when you then have court system and legal system and everything that's so dominated by old white men?
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's the subtleties as well, isn't it? Because we we might say that somebody's. Bad, somebody's bad for being domestic abusive towards his wife, but it's absolutely fine for him to be a in the workplace. Right. That's the good, and it's that it's that issue, isn't it? About how we how as a society we function. Yeah. So it's much deeper because women are only at this they're at the extreme end of this system where mm-hmm. people with little resources and and access to options they are treated more badly a word, badly than those who have got access to those things. So then the, the actual circumstances you're in, you're in it reinforces mm-hmm. that circumstance. So if you have nothing, you will continue to have nothing. If you have more, you will get more. And it's the women are at the hard end of that. And I think that's what's essential about all policy work and things like that. We need to look at this and really think about, well, so the pandemic, for example, it is not a shocker about who has been affected societal-wise the most by Uh this. And you see that more men will die, but women are more likely to catch it. So it's like there's circumstances why men are dying because of the poverty they're living in and because of people would call it lifestyle choices, but that's their their coping mechanisms for for those uh, life-living circumstances. And for women, it's violence and abuse, it's more poverty, it's more care and responsibility, and all these things reinforce the extreme end. and so we have to get society right and it's why feminism has always been about if we can achieve an equal society where women are equal then everybody gains yeah everybody gains because mm-hmm. we need to we need to change the system so that we all have access to uh, what we need to have productive lives and, and and good lives not just productive it shouldn't be about what you can earn exactly <laughs> it should be having fun and Uh learning and
0: yeah actually one of my podcasts that's been my most listened to podcast was about how if we measured society on a well-being economy as opposed to our GDPR and if we measured society like that how things would change how much more would we protect our women and our children if we actually were measuring we were measured on the well-being of our country as opposed to the GDPR of our country
1: well, if we went for well-being straight away, women's financial independence would improve uh-huh. straight exactly. away. And if we recognise care at the care um, industry as a green industry, uh-huh. women's yeah. situation would improve. So that, so and, and I think this is where some of the, the city councils have, have got a role because they can improve the terms and conditions of their, their carers. And most carers live in the area that they, they, they work in. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, you, if say Glasgow City Council decided tomorrow, right, all our paid carers will receive and a, a wage increase that is automatically going to give those women access to financial independence if it's at a proper level and also reinforces to the women who are working in the community mm-hmm. yes women deserve more yes this is where women sit so it's it's a double a double isn't it? but mm-hmm. what i would say as well is that one of the things i'm actually involved in a group called frontline feminist scotland and it's a relatively new group and we were Trying to build and then North uh, sorry, Lanarkshire Women's Aid lost their funding. Mm-hmm. So we launched quite quickly. Um, and what we're trying to do is gather momentum behind that. And it's deaf and it's in Scotland, but it's women's voices matter. Mm-hmm. And it's about thinking about how do we amplify women's voices, just like you're doing Anne, but also how do we have a conversation that allows those key decision makers to be able to make the right decisions for women. And because some policies coming out are really challenging and how we overcome that and how women, because women's voices, although we we talk about it a lot, actually when it comes down to the actual wire, people are quite quite quickly dismissive, people who shouldn't be, people who who are aware, who are active, who know these things, they're dismissing women's voices too easily. And that's not acceptable. 51% of the population, we deserve a bit of voice. And those who are most vulnerable in our community deserve the support and protection. That um, if, they're, if we're not going to stop the violence, <laughs> yeah. then we need to protect the people that are experiencing it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. And we've enjoyed this chat which we knew we would. So before we yeah. even recorded this, we decided that you're going to come on Ignite the Radio Show. So will this brilliant. So uh, this, is going to, this podcast goes out in mid-May, but the po- the radio show will be out by the end of May as well. So you can catch that brilliant. over on my podcast And thank you as well. so much. And it's a
1: great job you're
0: doing. Thank right. you so much. Oh, thank you,
1: Don.
0: And a wee shout-out to Elaine Ray, because it was her podcast that brought me in. Aye, I know. <laughs> oh, oh, always a shout-out to Elaine Ray. Thank you so much, Don. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much, Anne.
0: Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching and Hughes Ignite.